You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh weekly. For more hot takes, go and give me a follow at Just Plain Zach. I always keep it funny and I always keep it cute. Or if you like me and you want to stay up to date with the latest reality tea, go and give us a follow at No Filter with Zach on the Instagram. You can always join our private Facebook group. The link is in the description below. I hope right now you are sipping on some fizzy housewives inspired wine for yourself. Pack and a punch at 13% alcohol by volume, less than a gram of sugar. It is my no filter wine. I like to call it my housewives watching wine because when I'm on this couch watching the real housewives, this is what I'm sipping. It comes in a light, crisp, fizzy rosé and a light, crisp, fizzy white wine. Packing a punch at 13% alcohol by volume, so you will get Liddy City, but less than a gram of sugar, so you won't have that gnarly wine headache. The cans are small, compact, and designed around some of the most iconic moments in reality TV history. Today I have out, I'm not going out tonight, I'm disengaging, because you know what I've been doing all day? Disengaging, catching up on this Girardi legal drama Yikesies, there is a lot that has come out over the past couple of days. We have Erica Jane at the airport. We have Jay Edelson filing a new lawsuit. We have um, Erica White that has now come to the table. Hello, Erica White. We're going to break it all, all down for you. We're going to talk about the the new Bank of America, Merrill Lynch lawsuit that has been brought into the the Instagram, Twitter sphere that everyone wants to talk about. Because, you know, that low-budget tea loves to circulate. So we'll get into that. We're also going to get into the Jay Edelson lawsuit against Erica and the attorneys and consultants at Girardi Keese. And tomorrow, or Thursday, I'll be going live. I know we go live every Thursday, but I want to do a breakdown into the Lion Air case because a lot of people have had a lot of questions. It stemmed from this Jay Edelson 50 $55 million lawsuit that Erica was just served with at LAX this week. So we'll dive into that lawsuit specifically, the original lawsuit, the original case that Girardi Keys and Jay Edelson were working on together, which stemmed and blew up this entire embezzlement scandal because we know Jay Edelson is the one that originally called the divorce a sham and was one of the first to sue Girardi Keys and to really blow the lid on all of this drama. So we'll dive into that case, the case that inspired all of it, right? But first up, let's dive into the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch stolen identity case, all right? Did Tom Girardi and Erica Girardi and Erica's son Tommy pose as family members of Nicholas Phipps White's in order to gain access to his 20 Seven billion dollar settlement, and then have Mauricio and Rick Hilton help them purchase the Aaron Spelling estate. What? A new lawsuit alleges that Tom Girardi has posed as Nicholas's father, and Erica Girardi has posed as a woman named Erica White, claiming to be the widow of Nicholas and Tommy, her son. It's unclear what his involvement was exactly, but you know we threw him into the mix too. The allegations continue, claiming that they stole Nicholas's ID and used it to defraud Bank of America to gain access to his twenty-seven billion-dollar lawsuit. It also alleges that Tom Girardi isn't even a U.S. citizen and is here on a fake passport that he's actually from Europe. 
what? I checked with multiple legal experts and legal analysts to see if there is any legitimacy to this lawsuit, which they all claim appears to be bogus, including Jay Edelson and Ronald Richards, both who have been heavily involved in the Jordy Keys embezzlement lawsuits and have been very critical of Tom and Erica. Both Edelson and Richards have claimed that this new lawsuit appears to be meritless. For starters, the lawsuit was filed pro se, meaning that the plaintiff is representing himself and does not have an actual attorney representing him. You would think with a case this big and allegations this big, you'd have a pretty big law firm behind you. And no, because some people on in the Instagram comments are like, well, maybe he's an attorney. I can assure you, Nicholas is not an attorney, okay? The plaintiff is not an attorney. So next up with a case like this, why would you need to pay to have it distributed via a press release? I mean, if this were a real story, it's a pretty compelling enough story that any real journalist would pick it up naturally. Don't you think? I mean, if it were true, we would see the LA Times, the New York Times, Hulu, any of them would jump in on a story like this because they've all heavily carried or have all heavily covered the Girardi embezzlement scheme. Also, if Tom and Erica had access to $27 billion, why would Tom need to be ripping off his clients and avoiding paying back his loans? Like, why even take out loans at that point? You have access to $27 billion. I feel like, um, who's the guy from, from Austin Powers? I want $3 billion with Minimi. Um, anyway, the then there's the defendant, right? So the defendant is not Tom Girardi, and the, the defendant is not Erica Girardi. It's actually Bank of America over negligence that is being alleged in this new lawsuit. The suit is against the banks, saying that they allowed Tom and Erica to do this, even though no criminal charges for any of this alleged theft or fraud scheme have been filed against Tom or Erica. So while this sounds like one hell of a Lifetime movie, it's very unlikely to be true. It was first reported on Law.com after a press release was sent out and went virtually unnoticed. Why? Because many of us got the alert. Many of us read it over and we all realized it was bogus and nobody bothered to give it the airtime. But then it blew up this week on social media when Bravo Snarkside, an account on Instagram, posted it with the caption, this alleged news coming out of law.com, if this is true, this is huge. It seems really out there. I'm going to say that we need our Bravo legal experts stat. Well, let me tell you, when I first heard about it, I checked with the Bravo legal experts, or not just the Bravo legal experts, but real legal experts and real journalists. I checked with them stat when I first heard about it, which is why myself and many others didn't bother to use this as clickbait and bother to report on it or share it. This is what we at No Filter like to consider low-budget tea. So let's leave it in the garbage with the sprinkle cookies. Next, let's get into the $50 million Edelson PC lawsuit. Okay, there's a lot to break down here. So we just saw Erica arrive at LAX the other night where she was officially served. Everyone found it so hilarious that it was caught on camera and, you know, ooh, look at how scandalous. Listen, I was born and born and raised in Los Angeles. I fly out of LAX all the time. I can assure you the paparazzi aren't just hanging out there at 11 p.m. hoping to spot a celebrity. 
This was clearly a PR stunt. They wanted to film Erica Jane being served to then leak it to the press, to then bring attention to the actual lawsuit. That's abundantly clear at this point. And we all followed along and circulated it as it was designed to be. So what is this new $50 million lawsuit? For starters, it's not really new. It's an extension of the same lawsuit that Jay Edelson filed back in Illinois, back in Chicago, remember? The one that got dismissed. So he then announced that he was going to refile it in California. And I believe he did an interview with Kay Casey on her podcast, Reality Life, where he broke all the he broke down all the details. Well, now it's officially been filed and Erica has been formally served papers. This is literally just a formality, everybody. It is not a new lawsuit. It is a formality of something he announced a couple months ago based off of a lawsuit that was also dismissed a few months ago. It's fairly standard, though, to serve papers to one's attorney's office. But I guess, you know, you could also stage a paparazzi moment at 11 p.m. at LAX to embarrass a defendant. You know, that works too, right? So the lawsuit was filed in California officially on July 6th of this month of this year, alleging a crime or sorry, alleging a criminal racketeering scheme. What is racketeering? It's like Jen, like the whole Jen Shaw stuff. I was like Googling, what is what is wire fraud? What is money laundering? So that way I make sure I actually understand these things. I feel like Al Woods. But anyway, for those of you that are too embarrassed to ask what racketeering is, even though I'm not because I Googled it myself, racketeering is defined as a type of criminal activity in which money is extorted from a victim by threat or by force. In this case, Girardi Keese is considered the criminal enterprise and the victims are the former clients of Girardi Keys. So this case is brought forth by Jay Edelson of Edelson PC, who formerly worked as co-counsel with Girardi Keys on the Lion Air case. That's the case that involved the orphans and widows, which we'll break down later this week. We'll do a whole uh, a whole video on the actual Lion Air case and you know the case that really blew everything up, essentially. Edelson claims that his law firm will front the money that is owed to the Lion Air clients. So he himself is paying them, and this lawsuit is his attempt to get reimbursed. But he's doing this so that they at least get their money up front and possibly more impunitive damages at the end of all of this. So the money that's coming in from this lawsuit will be Edelson's reimbursement for the client settlement money that he's forking up up front, plus the attorney's fees and costs and anything additional he claims will be split up between his firm and the Lion Air clients. So let's get into the key players, their roles, and what everyone is being accused of. There are 10 accusations being made in the lawsuit, 10 really big ones, and nine defendants. Some are individuals and some are their companies. First up, we have Erica Girardi and EJ Global LLC, who is Tom's wife and her company, EJ Global. Next up, we have David Lira. David was a partner at Girardi Keys and is also married to Tom's daughter, Jacqueline. Funny that we never hear of Jacqueline. I guess we're very selective of which wives we like to hold accountable, right? Because nobody wants to talk about Jacqueline. Then we have Keith Griffin, who was an attorney at Girardi Keys and also worked on the Lion Air case. Then we have Chris Camone, who's the CFO of Girardi Keys, the man that handled all of the books. Then we have George Hatcher and Wrongful Death Consultants, his company, who is described as a consultant and is being accused of being a case runner. 
We'll explain what that is a little bit later, but let's just say case runners are not legal. Then we have Joseph DiNardo and his company, Cal Attorney Lending 2, who loaned Girardi Keys money and is currently a creditor suing Girardi Keys for money they claim they are entitled to from Girardi Keys. Interesting, since this is the first time we're seeing one of the lenders being sued, not just doing the suing. So what is being accused of all of these players? Number one, we have racketeering, which I just explained. And the racketeering is against David Lira, Keith Griffin, Chris Camone, and George Hatcher. Next up, we have conspiracy to commit racketeering against Lira, Griffin, Camone, Hatcher, wrongful death consultants, EJ Global, and Erica Jane. Then we have the third accusation, receipt of stolen property against Griffin, Lyra, Camone, Hatcher, Wrongful Death Consultants, Erica Jane, and EJ Global. Next, we have aiding and abetting concealment of stolen property. Griffin, Lyra, Camone, Hatcher, and Wrongful Death Consultants. Then we have money had and received, which is against DiNardo and his company, California Attorney Lending 2. Then we have conversion, which is the sixth accusation, against Camone, Griffin, Lyra, Hatcher, and wrongful death consultants. Seven is unlawful and unfair business practices against California Attorney Lending 2, Lyra, and Griffin. Then Consumer Legal Remedies Act against California Attorney Lending 2, Griffin, and Lyra. Deceit against Griffin and Lyra, and then deceit again against Griffin specifically. So Griffin out of all of this seems to be hit the hardest because he was hit with nine out of 10 of the accusations. Lear was hit with eight out of 10. Chris Camone, the bookkeeper, was hit with five out of 10. Hatcher, the case runner or the alleged case runner, was hit with four out of 10. Donardo was also hit with four out of 10. And Erica was only hit with two of these accusations, one being conspiracy to commit racketeering and the second being receipt of stolen property. So what does all of this mean? What are all of these people actually being accused of doing? So the lawsuit alleges that Girardi Keys was hiring case runners, a.k.a. consultants like Chris Hatcher, to find vulnerable victims to be brought in as new clients, and then they would get a kickback and settlement commissions, which is illegal. You cannot do that. You cannot hire people to find vulnerable victims. You know, this is very reminiscent of of the Jen Shaw case. Uh, You can't hire a consultant to go and find vulnerable victims, bring them in, pay them, and also give them a kickback commission. So we also have David Lira and Keith Griffin, who seem to be the most guilty or the most culpable in all of this. And they were seemingly the men on the field. They were making deals with co-counsel. They were working directly with the clients, even though it appears that they never had any intention of actually paying their co-counsel or of paying any of their clients in full. These are just the accusations that are being made in the lawsuit. This is not what I'm stating as fact. This is what is being alleged in the lawsuit. Just want to clarify that. So the lawsuit also claims that Chris Camone was responsible for distributing the money from all of the Girardi Keys accounts, which includes lawyer salaries, commissions to case runners, purchases of items such as, you know, earrings, um, payments made to any Amex bills. So they're claiming Chris Camone was the one that oversaw all of the money. I mean, he's the CFO. He's the bookkeeper, right? Of course, he's going to be the one in charge of the money. He's the one that's overseeing all of this. He's the one that's filing the tax returns. So 
It then claims that Erica Jane was the front woman of the enter- of the criminal enterprise, projecting the wealth of the firm and the success of Tom Girardi. So when Girardi Keys no longer had client funds to use, it then would take out loans. And this is where we're introduced to DiNardo and Cal Lending too, who are alleged beneficiaries of this scheme. DiNardo signed a first cut deal where he would receive a piece of the client settlements as soon as the settlement came in before Girardi Keys. This one kind of made me tilt my head just a little bit because like if Tom really was struggling to pay people back and it seems like to me it would be fairly reasonable to want some sort of guarantee up front, right? Like you would want to make sure that you get paid. Like if you're a lender, you want to make sure that you get paid before you pay your attorneys or before you pay your bills because technically you borrowed that money and have to pay back that loan. So I don't believe the final cut deal from my understanding um, meant that the client wasn't supposed to get any of their funds. I believe that this was only specific to the 40% commission of the settlement that was entitled to Girardi Keys, that DiNardo would receive, wouldn't receive any of the client's money, that you know this would just be the Girardi Keys money that they were entitled to from those settlements, which then takes all eyes back onto Lyra Griffin, Tom Girardi, and Chris Camone, the two attorneys that worked on the Lion Air case, Tom Girardi, who oversaw all of this, and Chris Camone, who was the one writing all the checks, signing all the books, overlooking all of the money. So to me, it seems like the first cut deal was strictly to just guarantee that Tom was going to pay back his money and not spending that 40 for uh, that 40 percent commission on like frivolous crap, but that he was paying the loan back first. Now, I don't know if it's legal to sign a first cut deal. It certainly doesn't seem to be standard. Um, And if you are Donardo and you know that Tom's not paying this money back, then why would you keep? loaning to him. My understanding is normally loans are made back or paid back in payments. Um, The payment terms, I guess, are determined by the actual lender and the person or the person that the money is being lent to. So, I mean, I can sort of see how this may be problematic, but I don't know how sturdy the accusations against Donardo are exactly. There are other outside theories that DiNardo and others may have been playing a much bigger scheme and that Girardi Keys was just one of the players in that larger scheme, but we'll have to see where that goes. The lawsuit alleges that Girardi Keys operated as a Ponzi scheme, which was essentially a ruse of Rob Peter to pay Paul. They claim that when Tom was questioned about paying people back, he would threaten them and he would use his connections to bully them into staying quiet and prevent them from taking any real legal action against him. They further allege that not only was there commingling of the client funds, but that the money was also laundered through the staff payroll and through Amex bills. Now, the Amex cards that Girardi Keys paid for, which were used by Tom Girardi, David Lira, Keith Griffin, and Erica Girardi, so essentially their credit cards were being paid for by the law firm. It's unclear whether Lyra and Griffin had their own credit cards or there was more of just a business company credit card that they were utilizing and using for expenses or costs that 
the law firm was paying for. And then we know that Tom Girardi's personal Amex bill and Erica Girardi's personal Amex bill were also going to Girardi Keese. And it appears that Chris Camone was paying those bills directly out of Girardi Keese's money without giving Tom Girardi his proper salary or his cut and doing it there. He was keeping it all within the Girardi family. Sorry, all within the Jordy Keys family. So they were also allegedly telling clients that they were self-insured, saying that they had backup money in case they were ever sued. That does not appear to be true. They were also allegedly bribing judges on top of all of that. As I mentioned, Erica Jane is the one being accused as the front woman, and it's claiming that Erica's role was to be the brand mascot, essentially to be propped up as a symbol of wealth brought in by Girardi Keese. Girardi Keese looked successful because it was expensive to be Erica Jane. She showed off money, and she made Tom look wealthy. That's basically the argument that they're trying to make here. It's a pretty big accusation, but... I mean, my thing is, couldn't we make the same argument that the publications that put Tom on the cover of their magazines, the associations that were giving Tom Girardi awards for his work, the press that praised Tom, couldn't they also be culpable in trying to help project that image of success and wealth? You even have Governor Gavin Newsom, who went on national television to boast about the donations that Girardi made to his campaign. My thought is like, if you're bragging about generous donations, you're essentially co-signing Tom Girardi's wealth, are you not? So where do we determine what a front woman looks like? They're essentially saying she was just propped up to be pretty and expensive. That, um, then there's the fact that Girardi Keese was around a lot longer than Erica Girardi was married to Tom. And the character of Erica Jane didn't even come into the picture until 2007. And she didn't even have the television platform of Real Housewives. That didn't even come about until 2015. But the girardi Keese allegations and lawsuits go back much further. I believe the earliest ones that have been uh, dug up date back to like the late 80s, 90s. So, I mean, I know there was even questions around the Aaron Brockovich settlement. That was pulled into question back in the day, back in the early 2000s. It was like a Salon article that was published in a magazine, in the Salon magazine, that talks about how, you know, I believe there were people that were claiming they didn't get the full money from that settlement. So, uh, I mean, we do know that Tom liked to show off Erica. He liked to show her off as his young hot wife. But I mean, was being a young hot wife a real symbol of success? Was being a young hot wife a real symbol of wealth? And was it so much so that it made people believe that because Tom was able to land this young hot wife, who, you know, was able to wear jewelry and expensive clothing and fly on private jets. Like, was she more of a prop and an accessory or was she really the projection of wealth? I think if we're saying she's a projection of wealth, then a lot of other people and a lot of other things can be pulled into that. Again, the awards that he was being given, the press that he was being given, the magazines that he was being uh, praised on the cover of, all of those things I think also contribute to that image of wealth, that image of success. Um, I think Real Housewives coming in at 2015, which is what, only six, seven years ago, five years ago when everything sort of broke, because this broke in 2020. So it was only really five years of Real Housewives. 
I mean, I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think. What do you think that Erica was the front woman for the scheme? Knowingly, unknowingly, does it even matter if she was? I mean, they're essentially alleging that these men knew that Erica was the front woman. and They knew that her role was strictly to say, look, I'm expensive. The firm is great. Tom is great. The same argument that I heard Emily D. Baker made was, that was essentially her job as a real housewife. You know, look at Dorit. Dorit go, these women, all of them, not even just Dorit, but like all of these women go on the show and they show off their money. They show off their wealth. That's, you know, what the real, any real housewives franchise is, you know, it's not just, yes, drama is a lot of it, but so is your affluence. So is showing off your lifestyle and especially real houses of Beverly Hills. That's the biggest one that's focused on an affluent lifestyle of private jets and international trips and having successful businesses and all of that sort of stuff. We know that the producers often would encourage these women to start businesses. You know, Teddy Mellencamp's all-in business was brought forth by needing a job to have when she was on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills to be embedded into her story. So I guess the same argument could also be made that, you know, Erica's job was to appear wealthy, not necessarily for Girardi Keys, but for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And so does she then get looped into Girardi Keys? I mean, benefiting of stolen goods, I think they have a case against her there. Um, and maybe they can get a few dimes out of her for that accusation. I mean, she technically was in possession of stolen property. If they can make, the, I mean, we know that like the earrings were one example, but I believe the earrings were linked to a different client and a different client settlement. So they're able to link things, purchases that were made that Erica benefited from. So I can see how that argument is made. Conspiracy to commit racketeering to me seems a bit far-fetched. The most culpable here, based off of the, the case that Edelson has laid out for us in this lawsuit, is David Lira, Keith Griffin, and Chris Camone, the attorneys and the bookkeeper. Well, actually, David Lira was more than an attorney. He was a partner at the law firm. Keith Griffin was an attorney at the law firm. Chris Camone was the, the CFO of the law firm. They were actually employed by the law firm. They received commissions from the law firm. They received salaries from the law firm. They received um, expenses that were written off by the law firm. Then we also have George Hatcher, who had an exclusive deal with Girardi Keys. He's the one that would scout out new clients and was allegedly paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars to remain exclusive to Girardi Keys. He'd find vulnerable people needing representation, get his coin, and then he would get a cut of their settlement. And it just seems like, damn, Tom Girardi was just promising everybody a piece of the pie. And it seemed like a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people were benefiting from this. You know, there are accusations of bribery, bribing off other attorneys, bribing off clients, bribing judges. There was the accusation that Erica made about Trisha A. Bigelow, the judge who I believe is still a current judge who allegedly received a new butt that Tom paid for. It's interesting. Um, and, you know, I want to remind you that when it comes to Chris Hatcher, hiring a case runner and giving them commission is illegal. So he seems pretty culpable in all of this. And then the last person um, that's involved in all of this is Joseph DiNardo, who we know was one of the lenders. And as I mentioned, he seems a little shady. He kept giving Tom money. He, um, now he's suing Jordy Keys to get a cut of some of the money that's being liquidated. So he definitely seems shady. Definitely a little sketch, but 
I don't think the case against him and Erica are that strong. I think, if anything, the case against Donardo and the case against Erica are the two weakest parts of this, and the strongest uh, players in this case are definitely Lyra, Griffin, and Camone, with George Hatcher kind of being somewhere in the middle. They've got a solid... Well, I mean, I guess they have a solid case against him. Whether or not they can get money back from him is what we'll ultimately see, but... They're going up against all nine of these defendants and they're going to try to see how much money they can get out from each of these players, how it'll ultimately be divided. They're trying to go for a jury trial. If it does go for a jury trial, I think that's going to be wild and we will be watching that like we watched the Amber Heard Johnny Depp defamation trial. We'll see how this all shakes out. Some of them may decide to settle. I'm curious how that works since there are nine different defendants involved here. If one of them wants to settle, like how... Would that work necessarily? But let's get into the amount that's being sued for. So Tom owed the Lion Air clients, I believe, $2 million based off of the case that was dismissed in Illinois and based off of what the California State Bar has revealed and the disciplinary action that they've said that they want to take against Tom Girardi. I believe they've both given us a ballpark number of $2 million that is owed to these Lion Air clients. However, in this lawsuit specifically, um, the lawsuit is seeking no less direct quote, no less than 55 million in damages. Okay. The actual amount that is allegedly stolen funds has been redacted from the document, which I find very interesting, especially since we know the judge ordered 2 million in Illinois. The California state bar has also thrown out the number of two of, I believe $2 million. So it's interesting that that number has been redacted from this lawsuit document, um, especially since we know of the $2 million number. However, the $55 million that they're seeking is very high, um, but this is what they claim to be seeking that $55 million for. There's the actual damages, which is the amount of money that was stolen, which we are presuming to be $2 million. Then they're they're suing for treble damages, which is essentially a type of punitive damages that seeks three times the actual damage uh, as punishment for the crimes that were committed. So punitive damages, which are, you know, the slap on the wrist kind of damages. I believe Amber Heard had to pay some of those, had to pay up some of those, or she's trying to fight it, but punitive damages. Attorney's fees attorney's costs and interest on the settlement itself. Now that's a lot of money. And we know Edelson has paid back the Lion Air clients, or he's at least pledged to pay them um, out of his own pocket. But that's a steep jump to go from $2 million, which is originally what I believe they were suing for in Chicago. And so we jumped from $2 million to $55 million. That is a very steep jump in my eyes. Edelson was clear, though, that after their attorney's fees and costs, that the money would be divided amongst his firm and amongst the Lion Air clients. My question, though, becomes... Is he possibly making a lot more than the Lion Air clients? Is it possible? I mean, it is possible that he walks away with nothing. And we do know that he has already spent a ton of money just bringing this, you know, to the forefront, bringing this litigation out. I don't believe that he's ever 
gotten his entire like owed share from the case originally. And now, you know, he's here fighting for these clients again. So that's a lot more money that he is losing. And I do want to acknowledge that he's probably bleeding a ton of money. And I do think that he's a good guy. And I think he is really trying to do the right thing and is trying to right the wrongs from this Lion Air case. But I do just want to point out that my head does tilt a little bit, you know, treble damages, attorney's fees, costs, interest, you know, it, it is a lot. And I do, I actually do agree that these clients do deserve some sort of punitive damages. And I think Lyra, Griffin, Camone, those are the boys that need to be paying a lot of restitution. Um, so, I, you know, I just want to point out that there is a lot for Edelson to gain, potentially, not just the exposure, but also the potential money that's on the line. And I hope that his intentions do remain pure. I did not like to see the paparazzi tactic that they pulled at with Erica at LAX, because that to me takes us into, you know, Ronald Richards territory where we're just doing things for clout. We're doing things for press mentions. We're doing things for attention. And we're utilizing Erica to do that because she's the celebrity in this case. I did not like the 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 PR stunt at LAX. Um, to me, it just it felt like we were losing sight of the real m- motive here and the scope of what we should be focused on here, which is again holding these men accountable for the things that they did to these these clients. Um, and I, I just hope it you know that motive and intention remains pure and it doesn't get lost in the media circus that we've all now created, myself included. I am complicit in creating this media circus. We are all talking about it. It has been sensationalized. It has been exploited. We cannot deny that. And again, I am complicit in doing that because I talk about this on my show and my show is a pop culture show. Anybody that's talking about it or posting about it on social media is complicit in this media circus. I just want to make sure we're holding the real key players that are in the center of this at the zeitgeist. I want to make sure that the intentions remain pure and that's to help the victims or the clients, the, or yeah, I mean, all clients and all people that are owed money, but most importantly, the people that were victims of these horrific um, cases that Tom Girardi and Girardi Keys fought for settlements for, they're owed all of their money. And we have to see those cases be brought to the forefront and we have to have that money back for them like they anybody that's been wronged deserves to have that remedied for sure you know we've seen like Ronald Richards thirst for attention and and hunger for money really start to come out and we've seen Tom and Griffin and Lyra now being exposed so we just want to make sure that these lawyers and these key players you know everyone that jumps in is we're making sure that they're jumping in for the right reasons. Because I think once you get involved in these things, once you do start to get a lot of the media attention, once you do start to get a lot of interviews, once there is the potential of these really high multi-million dollar settlements that could be coming in, I mean, we're not talking 27 billion, but you know, these are th- this is some some solid coin, right? Just want to make sure that we're keeping everybody accountable and that we're all still doing this for the right reasons. Now, like I mentioned, next up, we'll be diving into the Lion Air case itself. 
who these clients actually are, the settlement, the timeline, all of it. And I do want your opinions on that too. Everyone loves to talk about the orphans and the widows. It's the trope that they like to throw out on Twitter. And I think it's time we actually tell the story of the orphans and the widows um, and remember the focus of all of this. And that'll be the topic of this week's Thursday's Thursday live stream, which will be uploaded onto the podcast on Friday. So stay tuned for that. You can either join live on Thursday night on YouTube and Instagram, or maybe we don't do the Instagram. Maybe it's just going to be a YouTube live stream, um, and it will be recorded and uploaded to the podcast and available Friday morning. So stay tuned for that. I also want to mention just a few of the other Girardi lawsuits that we've heard of in the news recently. Ronald Richards is representing some attorneys that claim that they didn't get that they didn't receive their fair share of a client settlement. Attorneys, as we know, are due a percentage of a settlement. His clients are arguing that they didn't get the full percentage that they were owed. I believe Ronald Richards himself will be deposing Erica for this case this Thursday, which is July 28th. Ronald Richards is also representing a woman that was formerly that formerly dated Nicolas Cage, which was actually mentioned in the filing of the lawsuit um, that she formerly dated Nicolas Cage, which is funny and completely irrelevant unless you're trying to garner press, which conveniently it ended up in page six. So. The suit claims that she didn't receive her full settlement either. She started to receive some of the payments, but there was a little bit left that she was still owed. And they're now suing for, I believe, the full amount of the settlement, which I don't know if she's entitled to the full amount of the settlement. Because again, we know that when an attorney represents a client, they do have a commission that is entitled to the law firm, which is a standard 40% commission. So I do know she is still owed some money according to this lawsuit, don't know if she's entitled to that 40% commission as well, but you know, Ronald Richards is going to try hard to fight for all of it because he gets his percentage of it. So both cases allege the same thing, essentially with no new evidence. Um, they're both civil cases. And as we know, you can allege anything in a civil case, but here it seems to be just like a copy paste lawsuit at this point. I've looked into them. I don't know if there's anything particularly new or compelling from either of them other than this woman used to date Nicolas Cage and that's listed in the lawsuit. But those are the other lawsuits that are circulating online. No surprise there. So there you go. There you have it. That is the breakdown of the 55, 50, 55 million dollar lawsuit from Edelson and this Bank of America stolen identity lawsuit that has come forth um, involving Nicholas Phipps White and Erica White and all of that stuff. So there you go. Let me know if you have any questions. Let me know what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts on the stolen identity case? Some people are like, well, it's believable. As I thought, like it, it's it's believable for a lifetime movie for sure, but is it believable for like reality? I don't really know. And what do you guys think of the Edelson lawsuit? Obviously, a lot of stuff was brought to the forefront. Who do you think is the most culpable? Who do you think um, is likely not going to end up paying anything out of this? Do you think Edelson deserves all fifty five million that he's asking for? And I mean, he's being very transparent about how that money is going to be divided. Um, I just, you know, my question is like the attorney's fees and the costs is that attorney's fees and costs for this current case? Is it for the original Lion Air case? Is it for both? And what are we currently quantifying those numbers at? If we've been able to estimate 55 million plus, it's 55 million plus, you know, 
we'll have to wait and see. I do have a lot of faith in Edelson and I do believe that he's doing the right thing. I just hope that, you know, we stay on that right track and we try to fight these men that committed these alleged crimes against these innocent clients. You know, let's make sure we keep the focus on getting the clients their money back. But as of right now, Edelson did pledge to pay them their money. So I'm assuming those checks have already been cut and those clients have already gotten their settlement money. And from here on out, they're either not going to get in, they're not going to get anything additional. Or if he does end up getting, you know, a big lump sum from this lawsuit, they will get a piece of that. So we shall see. We shall see. Thank you guys for listening to hashtag no filter with Zach Peter. That's me. You can give me a follow at just plain Zach. You can follow the show at no filter with Zach. You get some housewives watching wine at no filter Please drink responsibly. You must be 21 or older to order, and you can order at nofilterwine.com. We have four fun designs inspired by Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, Atlanta, New Jersey, and Beverly Hills. My favorite is cut down my drinking or what? Or what? I'm looking forward to tonight, Wednesday night's all-new episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because that's where Lisa Rinna is going to approach Erica about mixing pills with alcohol, and that should be interesting, but... All right, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Let me know what other questions you have or what other cases you want me to break down. We just started Bravo Book Club, which is every Tuesday we go live on YouTube and Instagram. We're currently breaking down Holly Madison's book, Down the Rabbit Hole, diving into the dark Playboy history and the life of these playmates. So you can join that if you'd like. Love you guys. Appreciate you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review love those five stars and they really really do help and they mean so so much so i would really appreciate it all right i'll talk to you guys live on thursday bringing down the line air case love you mean it ciao for now america we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights life liberty and the pursuit of happiness at grand canyon university we believe in equal opportunity and the american dream starts with purpose by honoring your career calling you impact your family your friends and your community the pursuit to serve others is yours find your purpose at grand canyon university private christian affordable visit gcu.edu